Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds? Those are the sounds of an LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity, serving up a powerful yet gentle clean in just 29 minutes. Making this the sound of savings on the best appliance brands. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off the LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity and reduced wash time. Pricing valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. Gas dryer extra. U.S. only. See store or online for details. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And it's time for another episode of the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. How you doing today, man? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Good. You know, there's something we've been meaning to talk about here on the podcast. Brought to you by Crooked Eye Brewing in the heart of Hampro. When you need a fresh brew in the Bucksmont, you go see those fellas. And you can talk about this kind of stuff with them, too, because they're all into rock and roll there. They even have a live band. A house band. A lot of times, there's a thing about brothers do you have a sibling rivalry in your family maybe a little bit when we were younger we were very competitive we were 20 like 22 months apart so there was Ah, a closeness and of course the athletically and in sports there were rivalries but as it turned out he was by far the way better athlete it's kind of the roots of this week's episode which we've been thinking about talking about because of all the rock and roll sibling rivalries that are out there We thought maybe it'd be fun to talk about some of them, and then we started looking into it, and beyond the ones you think of immediately, we found so many. Oh, there are tons of sibling rivalries throughout the annals of rock and roll. We thought it'd be cool to dig in and look at some of them, and we'll do that over the course of however many months or until we run out of ideas about sibling (laughs) rivalries, but I don't know, we talked about it, and I think we should start with the one that is actually ranked number one in rock and roll sibling rivalries by Rolling Stone. And despite that fact, let's talk about the Everly Brothers. Musicians, the influence on rock and roll, just so important. I mean, they influenced bands that we all grew up listening to that were so much more important to us due to the fact that they were part of those golden early years of us getting acclimated to the rock and roll, at least that because they were so much earlier, like my grandparents and great aunts used to listen to the Everly Brothers. Sure. We would visit them. And I love the songs. Timing is everything in rock and roll. I think we've learned that from doing this podcast for almost a year now. By the way, we're coming up on one year as the imbalance history of rock and roll. Amazing. The timing of the arrival of the Everly Brothers 
is serendipity in a way. Um, they were around music their whole life. They were born into it. Their parents performed from the time when they were small kids. They began performing with their parents as the Everly family, right? They did. They were in Chicago. They were in Iowa. Kind of like a traveling family who performed all over the country. Oh, that was really swell, Donnie Everly. Thanks a whole lot. Here's the fella next. He, he didn't sleep all night. He was rehearsing his song, I hear. I hear you were singing your song in your sleep, Philip. Is that right? That's what mother thought, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, Philip, how old are you? Seven years old. You're seven years old, uh-huh. Well, folks, uh, here is uh, Philip Everly now, and he's got a very fine song for you. It's Silent Night. And along the way, uh, they met somebody, I guess you'd call him Uncle Chet. Except for it was Chet Atkins, one of the most badass guitar players ever. That would be the coolest uncle in the world to have. That's like Steve Miller having a godfather who just happened to be Les Paul. You know, stuff like that just blows your mind in rock and roll sometimes. So they were born into music and performed with their folks, and uh, eventually they moved to Nashville. They were there and moving through. Like you said, they ended up in Chicago where Phil was born. Uh, because they were kind of roving minstrels, and apparently the music was pretty good. But as they started performing with their sons, they saw something in them that maybe was a little bit further along the line than mom and dad were doing. Something different, something ground-shaking. Maybe there was a lot of uh, movement and a lot of change in pop music at that time as we had gospel country, rockabilly, jazz, blues, everything starting to fuse together and you'd get these musicians who would take these chances and try to pull a couple of these styles together with the different instruments and they made it work. You said something when we were talking earlier that the Everly Brothers combined elements. There was rock and roll, definitely rockabilly and country. Oh, you hear it. And you also hear that slick country sound that they got from Uncle Chet because he was a pretty good picker, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, all these elements come together, and as they go out on their own, uh, aside from mom and dad, they start writing songs, which is really good because they turned out they were pretty good at it. But at first, they had to rely on the writing talents of others, and their first big hit uh, came out in 1957 on the the afterglow of Elvis's arrival on the Ed Sullivan show the previous fall, right? Bye Bye Love put them on the map. And it did the same for Felice and Boudlow Bryan, who wrote the song, which was always getting played in my house growing up. Bye Bye Love from the Everly's Forget About It. I remember that song as a child visiting my grandparents and my family. It was always one of those songs that we heard. Well, that wouldn't be like a one-and-done deal, man. All through 1958, they'd have a string of hits that, again, would play in my house and be part of the soundtrack of growing up. Uh, Wake Up Little Susie. What a great song. Wake up, little Susie. Wake up, little Susie. Well, what are we going to tell your mama? What are we going to tell your papa? What are we going to tell our friends when they say, Ooh, la, la, wake up. 
so perfect for the 50s, too. Uh, so many teenagers with a baby boom there, you know, uh, just sitting there ready to become women. And uh, they all knew a little Susie who didn't know that little Johnny was really into her. You know what I'm saying? In a way, they seem kind of edgy for that time period as well because they were writing about mm. subjects that were quote-unquote questionable, things that weren't talked about. There were certain rules to society, and they were breaching these rules. They were, but they were doing it in steps. Uh, like on Bye Bye Love. Bye Bye Love, Hello Loneliness. You know, yeah. that's a thought the teenage, that's kind of that the teen angst is built out of. Uh, and the 50s rock and roll kids were the first to really rebel uh, against the teen angst that they felt. It just was an interesting time because society was changing a lot. Well, a lot of things had been static since the end of World War II, and the rock and roll shakeup of the mid-50s into the 60s, you know, we've talked about that a little bit. And the Ever Everleys were part of that, you know, like they had these hits, and all I have to do is dream. Now, that's different from a little piece of uh, teenage pablum, right? That's mm -hmm. like this... All I have to do is dream. It's almost an adult subject done by 15, 16 year olds. I can make you mine, taste your lips of wine, any time, night or day. Only trouble is, gee whiz, I'm dreaming my life away. Well, they were getting to be adults by then, so yeah. I guess it made sense. Uh, and they end up leaving their label and signing with Warner Brothers and deliver one of their most iconic songs for them called Kathy's Clown. It was their biggest selling single. Uh, they wrote it so they got to keep most of the money. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I was listening to that on the way up, and I forgot that song was, I just hadn't heard it in so long. And it was like, wow, what an adult subject for them to do at that time period. I agree. And it's a pretty heavy song if you really think about it. And, I mean, being kind of that fool in love. Which was a theme in 50s rock and roll as well. Heartbreak, fool in love, I have a crush on you. All very common at that time period. So you would think that there'd be this air of uh, flourish and harmony and all these good things going on between the brothers Everly, and that would not be the case. At one point in 1970, we'll fast forward a little bit, Phil was interviewed about the ongoing sibling rivalry, which by that point had become legend and open. He said, we've only had one argument. It's been lasting for 25 years. So that's in 1970. So he's thinking back to their childhood in the 40s and 50s when they were still playing with mom and dad. Their sibling rivalry began there, and they didn't grow out of it. They, they indulged it. They went on with it in a way that became very public and very well known. I guess being as young as I was at that time period, I didn't know that they had this kind of hostile public relationship. 
So, and again, we didn't have the 24-hour news cycle. It was just whatever Dan Rather told you on the nightly news or Walter yeah. Cronkite at that time. That's actually. right. It was, it was Walter, Walter Cronkite. Cronkite at that time, or it was even maybe before Walter at that time. It might have been before Walter. I remember Walter from the early 70s, okay. mid-70s. Well, there they are. They're rock and roll. They're 50s. They're all about it. The Everly Brothers are on a roll, but they can't stand each other. And it leads to problems that make it difficult for them to connect with music business people, too, because they become a volatile issue. And that's a theme that we see in sibling rivalries from there all the way through to today. People are a little nervous around them because they never know when the trouble's going to start or when somebody said something 10 minutes ago that the other one's still pissed off about. That's so true. That is <laughs> such a sibling thing to do. Or it that, is. It is. And the fact that it carries on to their professional life is not surprising either. I mean, your siblings, you grow up together, and then in your professional life, you're spending all your time together. What the fuck? Proof that not everybody knows what they're talking about, even though they think they do. Guess how many artists passed on Bye Bye Love by the Bryants before the Everleys agreed to record it? Can you guess? I'm going to guess 11. 30. What? That's right. Now, one of the things that I know that you would love to ask Don Everly has to do with touring in that era after they, the Everly Brothers became popular. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine touring with the one and only Buddy Holly and his crickets? In the documentary it, that Gary Busey does a great job playing uh, Buddy Holly in, they really were amazing and I can only imagine that the type of guys that they were as laid back as they were that they would have been a blast to tour with and hang out with because they also played music like when they were doing their downtime they would all just sit there and pick up their instruments and jam so I could imagine being on tour with them was a blast oh it was music all the time and uh, fun for young guys with a few yeah. bucks in their pockets I'm sure it was great oh I can't even imagine how great it was now, if they hadn't been able to put all their youthful sibling rivalry behind them, you'd think by the time they got to the end of the 1950s, they would have, right? They'd been on Cadence Record, which was a pretty small label. Two or three of my records that I have by the Everly Brothers are on Cadence. But then they make the big deal. They signed to Warner Brothers Records, right? They've got money. They have Kathy's Clown sold, what, $8 million money in your pocket. you think that could make it possible to work through the problem with your partner in life and your brother? Yeah, you, they say that money makes everything easier to work out, but... Hmm. Not in their case, and not in other cases to come. Because by the time we get into the 60s, we're starting to get to the kinks, which is a whole other episode oh. on sibling rivalries here on The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. It's kind of weird because you would think that these young, all-American, handsome rock star guys... With a bunch of money in their pocket and a lot of things to laugh about... Would be like happy and everything would be groovy and hunky-dory and peachy-ducky and all of that. And here is the song that uh, was in the top ten for quite a while. Let's bring him back to do Till I Kissed You. The Everly Brothers! To try to give us some context, here's a quote from the NME. They said, we're not Grand Ole Opry, where they'd been given a hard time when they first went. We're obviously not Perry Como. We're just pop music, but you could call us an American skiffle group. Whoa. 
Is that a connection to that whole Liverpool scene we've talked about? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you hear some of the Beatles in there. In Bye Bye Love, you can totally hear the Beatles. You know, you can hear the Beatles being influenced by that song alone. So the discord continues. And even though they went into the Marines in 1961, you figure that would straighten a guy out. It could maybe straighten them both out, right? Well, they didn't get along any better after they got out of the Corps. Did they go to the core as therapy for their relationship? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that's why you would go. You'd be apart a lot because you're not going to sign brothers next to each other, not often in military. Um, Maybe they needed the break, and they came back, and they had more hits. You know, they were continued to record for uh, Warner Brothers, and obviously they, they didn't really feel comfortable in any one area, but they had musical influence from all of the areas we're talking about. Oh, yeah. And their friendships uh, along the way, uh, connecting to other artists. We mentioned Chet Atkins and Dwayne Eddy and the other rock and rollers of the time that were cooler than some of the uh, white shoes rockers. Uh, the Buddy were, Hollies of the world. Yeah, the Buddy Hollies of the world, the the Dwayne Eddies, the Eddie Cochran's. They were the cool. The they were the boppers, real guys. Yep. They were the real guys. Yeah, they were. Even a fight with their publisher. Um, they had a fight with Acuff Rose Publishing, um, and they had to conspire to work around it. Even that couldn't get them to drop their fight. Did you know that by the time, by 1962, they had grossed like $35 million in record sales, which... That's crazy. Now, that's, I don't know how much they actually saw that, but that's Elvis money. That's insane amounts of money. I wonder Borderline what that Elvis would trans... Money. I wonder if that's like three, four hundred million today. Probably it's definitely Holy stacks. Cow. Yeah. That's fuck you money. And I guess that's what makes it easier to say fuck you to the guy that you've <laughs> shared your entire life and career with who came from the same womb. And it's part of the, the thing. And we're not, we're, we're talking about the Everleys cause we want people to understand who the Everly brothers were and what they did and why they were important But when it comes down to it, the reason we're talking about them is because we're trying to understand better how two guys who had so much going for them had hit records, $35 million earned by the year 1962. I don't know what those dollars are in in 2020 money, but it's a lot. A whole lot. How they couldn't just get along with the guy, the other guy that they creatively created all this stuff with. It's it's mind-boggling. And... I guess because they were one of the first times rock and roll, which was still kind of new, had encountered this, it makes it more fascinating to see why they couldn't get through it. And I know some of it is drug-oriented. There was some uh, some pill use. A lot of speed. Speed, yeah. Well, speed in the 60s. And on top of that, the continued sibling rivalry that fueled their differences and their problems. Mm-hmm. Well... Whenever I have a problem, Marcus, I like to take a minute and reflect, kick back with a frosty brew. What do you say we uh, reflect? I know when I'm thirsty, I head to the heart of Hatboro and go see my friends at Crooked Eye Brewery. I want to thank Paul, Paul, and the whole gang for their support for our podcast. It's been great. Now, when you want to taste the freshest, most creative brews in the Bucksmont, you go to Crooked Eye at York Road in Montgomery, right there in the heart of Hatboro. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. 
The Crooked Eye Crew makes every single night fun. Hey, and you can keep up with the live entertainment on the brewery's Facebook page. That's the best way to know what's happening there, including their free Tuesday night's Blues Jam, which is taken off. The Home Brewers Club and my partner in crime, Ray's Vinyl Nights, which are the third Wednesday of the month. That's every where the month. Home Brewers meet. And live music all the time, including the Crooked Eye Band. There's always good fun to be had. And a new friend to be made at Crooked Eye. And we want to thank them, as always, for their support of what we do on this crazy, imbalanced podcast. When you need a fresh, tasty brew, head to Hatboro and make it Crooked Eye. It's Sibling Rivalries, our first episode about the uh, We Can't Get Along brothers of rock and roll and sisters. There's times when it's the sisters, too. Uh, we're talking about the Everly brothers and how they just could not really get along their whole life. And even after the uh, Marines, they had some success. They had some hit records. Then they went solo. It was solo. You couldn't hear the records. That's what we've ta- joked yeah. about before. And that's one of the areas where it came from. Uh, they spent 10 years in doing solo acts and performed with people. They were backup singers on records. I think Phil sang on a Warren Zevon album. Um, Lindsey Buckingham toured with one of them or with the Everly Brothers at some point. Because they were the Everlys and they were connected and people wanted to be connected to them because they putting that on your resume couldn't suck for Lindsey Buckingham as a young guitar player, right? And they enlisted some famous people to play on their records as they did their solo thing, including Mark Knopfler, which is a weird pairing with Phil, but that happened in 1983 towards the end of his solo run. Phil sang back up for Roy Wood's 1975 album, Mustard and two songs for Warren Zevon's 76 self-titled record. I don't know what caused these two to, I won't say kiss and make up because I don't think they ever did. Uh, but I, I don't know what caused them to reunite, but there they are. Reunion concert, Royal Albert Hall, London, September 1983. I don't hardly know what to say. I've thought and thought and thought. What's the first words I should say? And I just couldn't come up with anything other than... It's good to be back. back. (laughs) I'm Don. I'm still the oldest one. (laughs) Phil's catching up, though. Won't be long. Won't be long before Phil's as old as I am, I guess, but keeps going. Anyway, we're happy to be here at Albert Hall. This is... An occasion for me, I think, probably once in a lifetime that can happen to people. Uh, Phil and I took our necessary vacation, and uh, we enjoyed part of it, and we hated part of it. And uh, I think I can speak for Phil in saying that. And when I think the question that's being asked the most now is why in London, why the Albert Hall? And But this place has been special to Phil and I. One of our greatest memories is a night uh, over a decade ago here at Albert Hall with our father and our mom was there and we had a wonderful evening here at the Albert Hall and uh, Phil independently thought of it and I thought of it uh, when we decided that it was time to get back together and sing again. We both thought of London and the Albert Hall first so that's why we're here. And uh, We also knew you would be here too. That's true. We didn't forget that. It led to, uh, the concert was recorded for a live album and uh, was broadcast on cable in uh, 84. Cable was pretty new 
even though the Everleys weren't back there in 84. Yep. And uh, they actually did a record with Dave Edmonds, which didn't, all these things were meant to get them back on track and get them reconnected to the music and each other. And it didn't really seem to work well. Paul McCartney wrote a song for him, and it didn't work very well for him. And that dude wrote a lot of songs for a lot of people that did well for a lot of people. The list of that is endless. <laughs> but the last time they did something that anybody really went, oh, look, the Everleys have a new record, was in 1986, a song called Born Yesterday. The album was the same name. And they did make a guest turn that year on Paul Simon's Graceland, so that's kind of a cool note to make. Um, they're working together even on other people's projects. You would think that would be promising for a future, right? Yeah, maybe not. They performed together off and on, it looks like, through the 90s. I got to be honest with you, I had no clue what the Everly Brothers were doing in the 90s because I was doing no. rock radio. I didn't know And they I was were still in my performing. 20s and 30s, and if they came on the radio, I'd listen to them. But I had no idea they were still performing because I was going to see Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Tool and bands like that in those days. So. You and me broke. Yeah, I know. If I saw that there was an Everly Brothers concert in town that weekend, it was purely by accident. <laughs> but in 2000s, they were still playing together and they, yeah. joined, they joined Simon and Garfunkel on their old friend's reunion tour, which is kind of cool because Simon and Garfunkel, a couple other great songwriters who fought Huge like brothers, influence. fought Huge like influence brothers. On each other too. I'm, sure, I'm sure the Everleys you know, had a lot to do with the way they, they set up their gig oh, at Simon and Garfunkel. And you're right. They are rock, there's, a, there's an exception to the sibling rivalry rule that we have in our head. They're not sibling rivals. Simon and Garfunkel were just rivals from the beginning. It was so weird. And think about Keith and Mick. They're like siblings, too. Those two have a very, very well, contentious in relationship. In certain circles, they are known as the Glimmer Twins, and there's a reason for that. Mm. So they continued, the Everleys. And they probably continue to fight pretty regularly as well and have disagreements about God knows what. Do you think in their 60s they were still fighting and nitpicking at each other after all those years? My brother and I are in our 50s, and we don't even do that anymore. I think that probably uh, on some level there's always something that pops up that makes you go, yeah, Mom always liked you better. You know, something stupid like that. I already know Mom liked him better. I don't <laughs> even, That's untold. That We don't even discuss it. <laughs> Mom, he's just kidding for the podcast. No, I'm not. Ah! And Barry, it's okay. I'm totally cool with it. He loves you anyway. I'd love you to death. Speaking of death, it's one of the few things that can break up a sibling rivalry. And uh, just 16 days short of his 75th birthday, Phil Everly died January 3rd, 2014. And um, whatever rivalry there was before that, bro, I'm thinking that it probably... If they were going to settle it, it had to be settled when Phil was really sick. I bet they did. And I bet they made peace. I sure he hope passed. so. I sure hope so. And and you know, looking as we grow older and see the dynamics of our families, holding on to that type of a grudge or that type of anger is only self destructive. But we know we do it. It's one of the flaws in humanity, I guess. But we're not going to get that bongosophical. Let's well, get we back already to the- are, <laughs> Let's get back to Everly's. No, but you're right. And it, and it speaks to the bigger, bigger subject of sibling rivalries. And there's people that are listening to the podcast. Some of them are listening by themselves, nodding their head. Well, Don Everly still shows his face at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Of course, they were put in very early. One of the uh, early rock and roll success stories. Rightly and, so. Uh, one of the things that they might have missed out on is how much the Everly Brothers' style 
the way they incorporated music from different genres and put elements together, how much of an influence it had, and the, even in their own initial period of working together in the 60s, um, they got to see uh, the Beatles bring a lot of what they did in the Everly's into play. Yeah. Think of the guitar intro on I'm Looking Through You. Right? Mm-hmm. That little false start and all that mm-hmm. stuff. The Beach Boys, I think that's obvious. Obvious. The whole surf rock scene was influenced the by the The whole sibling Everly's. rivalries thing to another <laughs> level. They brought a cousin into this shit. <laughs> and of course, Simon and Garfunkel, who we're talking about, they all were patterned after yeah. what the Everly's did. And it's kind of fucked up that two out of the three end up having just as big of a sibling rivalry type issue as the Everly brothers themselves. So. Know, that's crazy. And more would follow. True. You even hear some of the uh, Everly brothers' influence in some of today's rock and roll as well. You have to hear it in the vocals and the harmonies. You're hearing more and more straight-up rock and roll bands start to incorporate more of those old-school harmonies into their sound, which is nice because it adds to the feel of the music. If you're listening on Spotify at the end of this podcast, just search Everly brothers and hit shuffle. And you'll hear what we're talking about. There's a there's a an essence in the singing that is very upbeat, very very positive, and despite all the negative shit we're talking about here on this week's podcast. I mean, but the negative shit is the dynamic between the two brothers and the grudge that they held for thirty five, forty five, fifty years, however long they held it. It really doesn't have to do with their music because their music was very different. They never sang about, they never slagged each other in their music. They wrote about heartbreak and loneliness and all of the subjects that we were all going through at that age in our life, all of the emotions of teen and puberty and the hormonal changes and the life changes. Which is why your grandmother or your great-grandmother in some of our younger listeners' mm-hmm. uh, world really loved the Everly Brothers because mm-hmm. they spoke to them at a time when rock and roll was still kind of new. And and if if you're surprised that uh, at, at us talking about the Everly Brothers and that's one of Nana's groups and all that, recognize that in 2004 when Rolling Stone did its 100 greatest artists of all time, they were number 33. So kids, get out those Everly Brothers records. I have a couple in the basement. They're mom's old 45s. And listen to how they fuse the styles. They do a great job fusing doo-wop with country, with rockabilly, with jazz, with pop and rock and roll. It's all part of the rock and roll stew. And that's what I think Phil was trying to say. We're a pop band, you know, to NME back in the day. People always want to put people in boxes. Mm -hmm. And when you're a, a group as popular as the Everly Brothers, it's easy to just slide into one and not realize until they're closing the lid on you that that's what you've done. You hear their influence, especially in the 70s and 80s, because of musicians like Linda Ronstadt, who took songs like When Will I Be Loved to a whole new level, kind of yeah. like the way Jimmy did Bob's All Along the Watchtower. Good analogy. Linda took When Will I Be Loved to a whole new level and sang it with this power and this emotion that was a whole new level from what the Everly Brothers did. And you feel her pain a lot more. Back when Phil passed away in 2014, there was an article that Ray Connolly wrote for the Daily UK. And in it, he's talking about the feud reaching its peak in 1973. 
when Don showed up to a, a, a gig uh, in California, all kinds of drunk. And after he mangled the lyrics for Kathy's Clown, soon he and Phil were actually arguing openly on stage. Don threw down his guitar saying, I'm through with being an Everly brother. That's crazy. You're going to always be an Everly brother. But that's what I think sibling rivalries do to each other. And it just seems to get deeper, stranger, and in some ways more nasty when it's involved in the creative process. Good point. Really good point because you're taking the money and the creativity involved in it and then the ego of who does more. Wow. Or when you boil it right down to it, Mom liked you better. (laughs) Or I'm more creative than you. Well, that kind of stuff goes on with non-brothers. And the the Glimmer Twins did a lot of that crap, too. (laughs) Just want to say, let's get my two cents in there. You know, Paul and Art did as well. But back to Ray Connolly's article. He was trying to do what we're trying to do here, and I think I might have found a point. He wanted to know, where did the animosity and sibling rivalry come from? And he said, quote, perhaps being forced to sing together from childhood when they would perform on their family's country and Western radio show left scars that never healed. So as we look forward uh, at future episodes of sibling rivalries here on the podcast, we're going to have to look for a little bit of that sibling rivalries, not just I know we'll look for causes, but let's look for that one to see if they, you know, look for that as a possible root cause of some of the sibling rivalries absolutely. performing together since you're little kids, you know? Oh, absolutely. Now, before we wrap things up, I want to blow your mind with an Everly Brothers sidebar trivia. Okay. Blow it. Do you know who Erin Everly is? She's the daughter of, I think, Don Everly. I have no idea. You know who her famous boyfriend was in 1989, 90? I'm going to guess somebody like Slash. You're so damn close. Seriously? Axel. <laughs> really? Uh, wanted to kill him. As a dad, when there was shit flying, he wanted to kill him. I think it was Don. I can't believe you said Slash because you were so close. What's it <laughs> get smart thing? Missed it by this much. <laughs> I totally missed it by that much. But that's a little side note uh, about the next generation of Everly's. Um, Even the other family members didn't understand the sibling rivalry between Don and Phil Everly. One felt that he was more of a writer. One felt he was better, you know, one was a guitar player. But without his vocals meshed with Phil, they wouldn't be, you know, that sound. The way that siblings can sing together like no one else can. It also comes with a price or sometimes some baggage because not everybody has this sibling rivalry that works together, right? That's true. We'll have to look up the list of people who get along who are in rock and roll, too, who are siblings. Or at least the ones whose uh, sibling rivalries didn't make any media. Right, in a time when that wasn't easy to do. The Everly brothers were uh, well-known for their struggles with each other. But now maybe we get a little look at that, you know? Mm -hmm. Having to sing with mom and dad and being the little brother and trying to push your way past big brother, that kind of stuff. It can can lead to that kind of a thing. So, sibling rivalries, first one. How do you feel? Feel pretty good. I feel Feel really good. good. I don't feel like wrestling or nothing. No, nothing like that. And I just want to say for anybody who might be wondering, you mentioned your brother. My brother and I get along great. We didn't really, we were a few years apart. We didn't really have that sibling rivalry growing up. Uh, I didn't try to play the big brother. We just got along. We still do today, and I'm really happy about that. But uh, it's one of those things that I see, and uh, 
in, in my family and in others. And when you're in a famous family, like a world-famous family, like the Everleys oh, yeah. or the Davies. Ja- or the, the Jacksons. Kids, or the Jacksons. That's a whole other kettle of fish we're going to yeah. open when we go into Ooh. Jackson's on the the Jackson 5 on the we'll uh, sibling the family. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. All I can say is that uh, I value my relationship with my brother and, I, and anyone Me who too. out there who struggles with uh, a sibling rivalry into adulthood, I wish you the best in working it out because it's definitely mm-hmm. worth it. Definitely worth it. Yeah. And I'm here with my partner in crime, my brother on the podcast universe, uh, wrapping up this edition. Our first, we've been talking about this one for a while, and we do have yes. a pretty good list of others to do. Yes, we do. We have a few other sibling rivalries that'll be really fun and a few very contentious ones. Always Woo! innovating here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Find us on Facebook, just there, Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. If you haven't found us already, we see you coming in in dribs and drabs from all over the world. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And you can reach out to us on email too, imbalancehistory at gmail.com. It's easy to just drop us a line anytime you're listening or post up a review i really like to see uh, folks who have strong feelings about stuff we're getting some good comments and stuff but uh, go to the app that you listen on and rate us and give us some reviews there i think it'll it'll help to tell more people about i found out that this can help tell more people about the podcast absolutely and so i'm being a little self-serving but please do some reviews if you like what you're hearing or even if you don't we don't care we, we've got thick skin we're from philly yo <laughs> And we do love feedback, so if we miss anything, you can let us know in so many ways. Our website, imbalancedhistory.com. Putting the wraps on our first time taking a swipe at sibling rivalries, I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Hey, this is Brad Page from the I'm in Love With That Song podcast, inviting you to join me as we explore a different song each episode, discovering what makes these songs great. The performances, arrangements, and the production tricks and techniques are all part of creating those magic moments that turn a good song into a great one. On this podcast, we take a deep dive into each song, listening to all those nuances that came together to make it a great song. Our journey takes us across the musical map, from the Beatles and the Stones to Aretha Franklin and Tom Petty, Kiss, The Cars, Todd Rundgren and Roxy Music, from Badfinger to Al Green, Stevie Wonder to David Bowie, from Aerosmith to the zombies. We listen to it all on the I'm in love with that song podcast. You may be unfamiliar with some of these songs and some of them you've probably heard a hundred times, but I bet if we listen closely, we can discover something new. So join me on the I'm in love with that song podcast and let's listen together because I think you're going to love these songs too. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about that sound? You're listening to a set of GE appliances, complete with all you need to keep food fresh, dishes clean, and everything else stress-free. Making this the sound of savings on top brand appliances. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off select GE appliances right now. Offer valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. U.S. only. See store or online for details.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 